Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re-enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Abide in Liberty. I ended last week asking the question why it is that the Christian majority in the United States of America doesn't speak up more than it does. You know, and I personally am not to the point quite yet where I feel just 100% bold and raring to go um, be the, the valiant defender of truth that I want to become. So I'm not there yet. I still have a very, very long way to go, but I do feel like I am much closer to that than I was five or six years ago. Uh, I'm a pretty shy person by nature. I tend to care very much what people think about me or say about me. Um, And so that has led to a lot of fear and trepidation about standing up for my beliefs, about sharing the gospel, about a whole host of things that has kind of slowly melted away. A lot of those concerns are dissipating. Some have gone altogether and others are um, not nearly as intense as they were five or six years ago. So what changed? Uh, I'll share a little bit of the story about how my wife and I started a school. And I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but I do want to share how this has impacted me. Five or six years ago, we were told as we were prayerfully considering what to do with our family, what to do with our kids for school, where we were supposed to live, we were told that our kids were supposed to go to Liberty Youth Academy, which was my mom's school that she had started up in St. George, but we were not supposed to move to St. George. We were supposed to stay right where we were in Southern Arizona, put our roots down here, and open a branch here. And that's what we did. Now, this whole process has required a lot of sacrifice, of time, money, and our wills. Um, you know, sacrificing what we wanted for our lives. When I graduated college, I was given a a really good position. Uh, My degree was in finance and business management. uh, So I was given a really good position with a company that had this kind of 10-year leadership development plan. And if you put your head down, you do a good job, you put in the time. After 10 years, you end up as a division controller and starting salary there is in the 200,000s plus pretty hefty bonuses. So that was kind of our plan coming out of college. We were going to do this. We were going to work this system, maybe work 20 years because after 10 years of making $200,000 a year, and if we're very careful with our finances, we retire early and then we'll spend the rest of our lives serving missions and doing whatever it was that God wanted us to do at that time. Um, It turns out (laughs) that Heavenly Father wanted us to get rid of all of those dreams and aspirations, rely more on God than on our earning potential or on a hefty bank account or on a large retirement account. And he wanted us to serve starting now with every spare minute that we have. So over the course of the last several years, we've gone through multiple iterations of leaps of faith and of sacrifice. We have cut things out of our lives that we didn't think we could cut before. You know, the first year that we started required quite a bit of financial and time sacrifice. And and with that year, we thought we had cut out everything that we possibly could. We had cut to the bone and there was no meat left on that bone. 
But the deeper we went, the more we realized that things that had originally seemed to us to be non-negotiable or absolutely vital turned out to be frivolity and fat that we needed to trim as well. And so this has kind of happened in iterations and in multiple layers where we've been progressively told and prompted and guided to cut more and more out of our lives. Um, And so what has happened is, you know, it's led to the point where, um, you know, a lot of the fluff and a lot of the extras that we had are just not there anymore. Now, am I saying that in order to uh, to have that, to build that kind of strength and discipleship, to overcome these fears that we have, that we every one of us has to open a school? And the answer to that is, of course, no. But I am convinced that if we are seeking God's will and then following it without question, no matter the sacrifices of time or money or energy that it requires, he will lead each of us through a similar personalized refining and strengthening process. That has absolutely been true for us. And I have no reason to believe that it would be different for anybody else. This is what I credit with the with bringing the greatest amount of change in me the past several, several years is cutting out the fluff, cutting out the unimportant things and keeping only what is vitally important and uplifting. So here I want to introduce the idea of empty calories. Uh, for anyone who you know has done any kind of studying on diet, empty calories is, are the things in our diet that uh, do bring calories. They do have energy in them that our body needs to survive, but they lack nutrients. So you know our brain and our bodies to keep functioning need sugars, need calories, and that brings us energy. But if there's if there are no vitamins and minerals and other probiotics and all these other things mixed in with that food, then all we're getting is the energy. We're not getting the nutrition uh, that our cells and our muscles and our body needs to remain healthy. And not only just remain healthy, but grow and develop stronger over time. So empty calories would be things like desserts, chips, cookies, candy. My personal favorite is pizza. Um, you know, these calories technically keep us alive, but they're not really helping us build and grow strong, healthy bodies. They fill a hole, but they don't nourish and strengthen. In fact, you know, too much of these and an excessive amount of these empty calories weakens us over time and can lead to terrible, horrible uh, health problems that eventually shorten our lives. They, they do have a real significant impact and I, I think this empty calorie idea has something to do with why a majority, why in a majority Christian nation, there is so much apathy and inaction as evil gains a stronger and stronger foothold in our country. You know, I think in large part, this has happened because Satan has, has us so busy stuffing ourselves with spiritually empty calories through media, and that includes social media and others. Now, we may not be participating in outright evil in our media. That is definitely out there. But but I think most of us end up getting caught up in stuffing ourselves with spiritual potato chips and soda. And if that's the case, 
then it's no wonder that something as basic and elementary to Christianity as sharing our faith, it's no wonder that that seems overwhelming and difficult. It's no wonder that standing up to the mob that laughs at us for our idiotic belief in a space daddy, it's no wonder that seems terrifying. It feels like a mountain and it's too hard for us. But here's the thing about climbing mountains. It can actually be exhilarating if you're in good physical shape. And the same is true spiritually for standing up for what's right. It's still a mountain. It's still big. And it still can cause some trepidation. But instead of being terrifying and impossibly difficult, it's an enriching. Climbing that mountain is a fulfilling an energizing experience. One of Satan's greatest tools that he has by the throat in that industry, by the throat, is media and entertainment. This is how he gets the elect. He can't get you to murder. He can't get you to to rob a bank. He can't get you into prison through committing some heinous felony or crime. But he can get you into a prison of your own making by getting you to spend endless amounts of time on frivolity, and all in the name of self-care and decompressing. If he can get us to waste hours and hours on media and fluff entertainment, he can keep us from actively pursuing the mission we agreed to do before we came to this earth just as surely as if we were locked behind bars. He can get us stuck in this endless cycle of, I'll get to it tomorrow because we wasted the opportunity today. And if he can get us to do that, he wins. And the good that we were supposed to bring to the world never happens. Now, everything, (laughs) almost everything, because this kind of is my life, comes back to school for me and to our, our children and how we educate them. If we want to prepare ourselves and our kids for uh, a future of valiant discipleship, coding and being good with technology ain't going to cut it. It's not even going to come close. Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verses 118 says, Seek ye out of the best books words of wisdom. Seek learning even by study and also by faith. One great change that we can make in our families for ourselves and for our kids is to get ourselves immersed in the classics, in good literature, and and get out of the intellectual, emotional, and spiritual emptiness of screens, TV, movies, and video games. I had a wonderful experience this week. Um, Our high school group, and I think I talked about this a couple weeks ago, during the month of January, was reading Robinson Crusoe. And going through this with them, I I had forgotten what an amazing book this is. This is a book of a man who is stranded on a desert island, and it's a story of what he did to survive, and what he did not only to survive, but to thrive. And so many modern stories have borrowed from this theme. Think Survivor, the TV show, Castaway, and so many others. There's all kinds of variations on the story of Robinson Crusoe. So it has tremendous literary and cultural value um, in the English language in particular, but it's so much more than that. This is a story of redemption. 
It's a story of finding peace and happiness through Christ in the worst possible situations. And in particular, it's been it's been a challenging start to 2023 uh, for my wife and I. We're in the middle of a little bit of a leap of faith ourselves, and sometimes it feels like the help we desperately need isn't there, and we feel a little bit lost. But as I was reading, and while I was having a particularly tough day um, maintaining my own faith and the answers and the promptings and the guidance that I knew I had received from the Lord, I came across this little nugget in Robinson Crusoe. At this point in the story, he he's on this island and he there's a ship that pulls up onto the beach near where he lives. And it's pretty obvious that um, these, these are Europeans, these are his people, and this is the opportunity he's been waiting for to, to possibly get off this island. But he notices these people are bringing, you know, three prisoners along with them, and they're trying to decide what they're going to do with them on the beach. Are they going to kill them? And it looks like they're going to at one point. Are they going to just leave them there and maroon them on this island, these three unfortunate people? And he talks about how these people who are being brought to this island, and it looks like they're going to be marooned there, how desperately, how desperate they are and how much they think their lives are over, how much they think um, there is no more hope for them. And here's what, here's the observation that this character, Robinson Crusoe, makes as he's observing this going on. So as he's watching these men who are terrified and desperate, he's reflecting back on his own first night on this island. And he says, as I knew nothing that night that he first found his own self on the island of the supply I was to receive by the providential driving of the ship near the land by the storms and tide, by which I have since been so long nourished and supported. So these three poor desolate men knew nothing how certain of deliverance and supply they were, how near it was to them, and how effectually and really they were in a condition of safety at the same time that they thought themselves lost and their case desperate. So little do we see before us in the world, and so much reason have we to depend cheerfully upon the great maker of the world that he does not leave his creatures so absolutely destitute, but that in the worst circumstances they have always something to be thankful for and sometimes are nearer their deliverance than they imagine, nay, are even brought to their deliverance by the means by which they seem to be brought to their destruction." This was a passage that I needed. I needed desperately. And it hit me so hard that God was speaking to me through this book that I don't see the whole picture. I'm like those desperate men down on the beach thinking that things are darker than they actually are. And God is like Robinson Crusoe up on the hill watching all of this happen and knowing. He can see things that I can't see down on that beach. He can see means of deliverance and help and support and strength that I can't see. And so how much should we rely on our maker? So that was one experience I recently had. Um, That was actually, I think, earlier this week. I'm a little bit behind the high schoolers. I'm trying to keep up, but um, I got a little bit behind this month because it has been just an insane month. It's been a little intense. Um, Another one, though, that I had, I got to substitute um, in our 
fourth and fifth grade class this week, and they were just finishing up the Summer of the Monkeys. Um, and and this is a book. Uh, it's a it's fantastic. I actually haven't read all of it. I've just read snippets over the years as I've stepped in and substituted in different classes. So I've only read a grand total of about maybe three chapters of this book. But it's written by the same author as Where the Red Fern Grows, um, except this one has a little bit of a happier ending. But it's about a boy. There's a, a circus train who crashes or that crashes, and a bunch of monkeys escape. And there's a reward for anyone who catches these monkeys. And so this boy really wants a 22 rifle. He wants a horse. Um, and so he wants to use the reward money for that. So he is determined that he's going to capture these monkey monkeys, which have taken up residence in the forest near his home. He enlists his grandfather to help. Anyways, they have all kinds of crazy things happen trying to capture these monkeys. But I got to read the end of it, which was a tearjerker. It wasn't sad, but it was just incredibly touching. But what, what do the students learn from this book? They learned about perseverance. They learned about the importance of sacrificing for our families and even for our siblings. They learned what sibling love should look like. As parents, we learn good parenting principles through a book like this, and grandparents learn how they can help their grandkids develop important virtues and characteristics. I got all of that just from reading these few chapters. This book is full of good lessons that are uplifting and entertaining for sure, but uplifting. Contrast that, and here, if these happen to be some of your favorite TV shows or books, I apologize. I'm picking my favorites, so I'm picking on myself here. But contrast that with Phineas and Ferb, right? Where brothers and sisters, we learn, are supposed to fight, bicker, and tattle. And parents are a little bit clueless and vapid. One of my favorite book series is Harry Potter. But compared to the classics that I experienced this week and recently, which one is going to prepare me for my life's mission? It sure as heck isn't Harry Potter, unfortunately. At best, that series is empty calories. And at worst, it's teaching that children disobeying authority is not only okay, but necessary sometimes. It teaches that adults are idiots and don't listen to children, even though the children are normally right. So my question for you and my question for myself as I've reflected on all of this is, if it doesn't build you and help you want to be a better person and Christian, if it doesn't build your faith in God, if it doesn't stiffen your spine to stand up and do what you know you're supposed to do, to say what you're supposed to say, to sacrifice what the Lord is telling you to sacrifice, if it doesn't do that, then why in the world would we waste our precious, frightfully limited time on it? When comparing these options, which one will help you and your children develop rock-solid discipleship? Now, am I saying that you shouldn't take downtime, that there should be no time for relaxation? And of course not. That is not at all what I'm saying. With food, I've got a sweet tooth, and sometimes you need to satisfy that, or want to anyways. But do you know what you can satisfy that sweet fix with an orange or with a bowl of ice cream? I'm picking my two favorites here again, picking on myself. Um, one of these builds and nourishes, and the other tears down and provides no strengthening or nourishing power whatsoever. Robinson Crusoe, or Summer of the Monkeys, can fill much-needed downtime and much-needed relaxation time just as well 
as Harry Potter can, but one builds while the other wears me down. One's an orange and the other's ice cream. Playing games and spending time with our families and doing wholesome recreational activities is far more enriching and relaxing than three hours of Netflix binging. You know, when I think about what the ultimate realization of happiness is in the eternities, it is, it's with our families. That's what, that's what we're all going for. But do we really think that we're going to spend any time in the eternities sitting on a couch, zoned out to the TV with our families gathered around? There is no way that's happening. And why not? Because zombieing out to the TV while we are in the same room with other people, other human beings that we kind of like, is fake togetherness. It's not real lasting happiness, and it's not real rejuvenating leisure time. To wrap up, we need to surround ourselves with things that make us want to be better all the time, even in our leisure time, especially in our leisure time, do we need to do that? Satan would have us surround ourselves with fluff so that he can lull us away into living a spiritually sedentary lifestyle. A lifestyle where maybe we don't do anything terrible, but we never reach our potential either. And in that, he wins. Personally, after this week, I am recommitting myself to find what fluff I still have left so that I can remove it, and be energized to become more of the valiant defender of truth and righteousness than I am right now, and to be more of that person that I know God wants me to be. And I sincerely hope and pray that you'll join me. Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes, and share this with friends and family. In the meantime, keep up with the show online at AbideInLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting libertyyouthacademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong.